Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Well Far, the weekly running podcast that will be by your side as you train for 26.2. It's hosted by me, Amy Hopkinson. By day, I'm Women's Health Digital Editor, but when not in the office, I'm a marathon runner too. So this year, with the race on the horizon, I'm here to help with blisters and bruises, runners' highs and lows, what to eat before Sunday run day, and how the heck you refuel after. No doubt you're already wondering why on earth you signed up to run a race and questioning if the blisters, chafe and dark runs are worth it. So today, I bring you the ultimate inspiration in the form of Team GB runner, Dina Asher-Smith. So put on your trainers, plug yourself in, and let's crush your anxieties with her best training advice. Welcome back, everyone, to Welfare Episode 2. I want to start today by saying a big thank you for every like, comment, DM and kind word which has come my way in the past week and also not forgetting the thousands of you who have listened to Welfare. It has been the most amazing thing to watch so many people engage with marathon training but more than that running and just being healthy over the past week so thank you. And now moving on to today's episode. I sat earlier on on my sofa and I'd just come in of a run actually, thinking about what I wanted to share with you. And I thought long and hard whether I should talk about my training and do something a bit techie. And then I thought, actually, no, I'm going to talk to you about how I'm feeling. And I can sum that feeling up in one word and it is overwhelmed. In the past week, I've really had to get used to getting up on time again. Um, Over Christmas, I was quite laissez-faire with my lifestyle. I didn't set an alarm clock, so I got up when I wanted to. I then ate when I wanted to, and I worked out when I wanted to, if I did work out. And there was no other pressure in my day. But now, suddenly, I am back at work, and I'm having to squeeze workouts in before the office or after the office, and really get used to routine and structure again alongside ramping up the mileage and getting back on my feet running again multiple times a week. And so in the first week of Jan, I kind of muddled through, so it was only three days or so. But this week, a full week of it has been quite tough. Um, And so, yeah, I am feeling quite overwhelmed with it all. And I wanted to share that in case you are too, because maybe your life is a bit like mine. At the moment, I've got a few things on the go at the same time. So I'm launching this podcast and finding my feet with it. I'm planning a wedding and then Women's Health is gearing up for our biggest year yet. So I'm spinning multiple plates alongside my marathon training. So if you are doing the same and you are finding it quite tough, maybe you have a full-time job and you have a family or you have a full-time job and a side hustle and you're doing marathon training, just know it's not just you that's finding it tough. A lot of us are too. And so 
What I decided to do with today's episode was bring on the biggest running inspiration I think there is, and that is Dina Asher-Smith. So coming up on this episode is a brilliant chat that I had with Dina in a secret location in Soho in London. And then followed by that, there is another inspiring athlete, but an everyday athlete who is juggling a massive fitness challenge with her everyday job and also a family life. So please, please, please do listen on to the end to see who that is. I'm not going to spoil it for you. So get ready, guys. Plug yourself in and enjoy episode two. Oh, and if you are perhaps listening to this podcast on a run or a walk, please do take a picture and share it with me on social media. If you use hashtag welfare, I will be searching for that and I can see your journeys too. So here's to episode two, guys, and another week of conquering a bit of the distance towards a marathon. Enjoy. I am so excited today to be here with Dina Asher-Smith, the breakout Team GB star we've all been waiting for. Not only did she win gold in the 100 metres, 200 metres and 4 by 100 metre relay at this year's European Championships, but she graduated from King's College London with a degree in history and is super down to earth. I couldn't think of someone more inspiring than her to motivate us all to get training this winter than Dina. Welcome. Well, that's a really nice intro. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, I mean, you are one busy woman. Mm, yeah, I mean, I love being busy because obviously it keeps your mind so active. But yeah, very, very busy. But um, it's been great since obviously yeah, the Europeans. What a 2018. Yeah, it was really, really special. I mean, um, I kind of surpassed all my expectations going into it. I'd hoped that I would I would run fast. I hoped that I would do well at the European Championships, but obviously to come away with, with three golds and uh, two new British records is pretty special. <laughs> wow. And was there anything you did differently in your training to make that happen? Um, weirdly enough, I don't think there was. I think the biggest change was my mindset because the year before in 2017, I broke my foot in February and then I had the world championships in August to make, which uh, I think, yes, yeah, six, five, six months. So I had to kind of come back, have a surgery, put some screws in uh, off my feet for two months, two, three months, six weeks, six weeks, three months. Yeah. And then walk, jog, run, sprint again, and then be in world-class shape for the world championship. So that in itself was a test. Who didn't know if I could do it, uh, both mentally and physically, all at the same time, like as graduating as well. So it's quite stressful. <laughs> But um, I managed to kind of pull it off and I came fourth in the world and we got a silver medal in the relay, which um, is, is quite is quite strange because I that I didn't think that I could do that well after having that kind of year. I thought that I could make it back and I could be in world-class shape, but I didn't think that I maybe could make top eight in the world, let alone almost get a medal at the World Championships and come fourth. So that experience gave me so much confidence going into this year because I thought, hey, if I've had like six weeks training yeah. and that happened, um, if, if, as long as I stay injury-free, <laughs> it can be pretty good this year. But um, yeah, I think it was a change in my mindset, just having a lot more self-belief and self-confidence in my own abilities because before then I yeah I didn't I didn't think that I could do that kind of thing and then it happened so I was like just go for it I suppose was that your first experience of big injury it was the biggest injury I've ever had yes but it wasn't my first experience with injury but I feel like the way that I tackled this one was different because I kind of just told myself that I was going to be relentless with my rehab I was going to be very very focused with how I came back and I wasn't going to take no for an answer I thought that I was just going to try and and 
and hope for the best really and really push the boundaries and see as push my body and my mind to the to the max to make sure that I could come back for the world championships didn't know if I could pull it off and we made it but um yeah amazing (laughs) and obviously because you must so you were less physically active so did you have to find did you find that you had to stay more mentally active um yeah I mean I was I was finishing my degree so I had my dissertation to do I had my exam so I remember being very stressed (laughs) like mentally oh my gosh it's so difficult don't want to fail my degree but um physically actually um I was training far more than I normally do because even though I train six days a week anyways I don't know how much more you could do but obviously with the rehab when I could move my foot when I wasn't in the cast I was doing exercises every single day and getting treatment every day I also kept the rest of my body active so I was doing a lot of core a lot of upper body a lot of work on my hips and my hamstrings and I was running in an underwater treadmill from six weeks after my operation I was back in training like a week as in the rest of my body a week after my operation when the anesthetic wore off so I was walking and running from six weeks post-op so I had a lot of work in me I was very strong which is why when I was able to run I was in good shape because I've been yeah really relentless (laughs) with my rehab yeah (laughs) that's very impressive (laughs) stressful but it it paid off (laughs) and and you've just mentioned that you do a lot of core work Mm -hmm. do you find that that is as much as you do obviously a lot of run training do you do a lot of strength training and stability work I do so much core and stability I think personally I'm hypermobile and quite clumsy so coordination (laughs) is also in there believe it or not I'm one of those people that needs coordination exercises (laughs) to keep one me putting one foot in front of the other and not tripping over my own feet but um yeah I I do a lot of core sprint um especially with sprinting how you hold yourself up and your core strength around your hips obviously your abs and, and your obliques is really really important because you think about it we run around in a circle so much and and if there's as little movement through the middle as little instability in the middle as possible then you go forwards more efficiently so um yeah lots and lots of core lots of stability work especially after you broke your foot you need your ankle to be as strong as possible and um coordination because i'm clumsy (laughs) (laughs) you have become the the face the fresh face of athletics which I think that we've been looking for do you find that do you find that's a bit of a pressure or weirdly enough I actually don't really find it pressurizing I mean in terms of wanting to do well yeah I mean you have to train hard I don't want to have people kind of look up to me and then kind of not do well but um at the same time I don't think it's pressurizing because as you said athletics I think as a sport, as an Olympic sport, it ha- we have a, a different kind of relationship with the public than people in may- maybe team sports do. So like, say if you're a footballer, they either love you or hate you, not because of your personality, but because you either play for, for Man United or Man City. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so um, but I think with athletics, I think people just genuinely hand on heart want you to do well. And that's what I really love because as long as I stand up there and I in earnest try my best which I know I'm gonna do people generally are happy I mean yeah you might have people saying oh you could have done better today but you know that that's that could have happened I'll be thinking that myself <laughs> as well but um I think it is the Olympic sports where people feel proud and they just want you to do as well as you want and I feel like I don't really see that as pressure I see that as something that's really nice and gratifying because it's a nice feeling when you know there are so many people behind you and as long as kind of you try your best they're proud of you yeah and I feel like that's kind of where I am at right now obviously people want me to go out there and do really good things which is nice too but um 
yeah, I do think as athletes, we have that thing where they can see if you're honestly trying your hardest and you can see if somebody beats you, you can see that they did incredibly as well and they respect your competitors. That's the relationship I think we have. And, and it's very nice. I think that goes for so many athletes as well because you've got so many people like Laura Muir and, and so many fantastic other athletes that are, that are doing a similar thing. Do you all hang out together? I'm going to say, no, but that's not because we don't like we don't like each other. It's because we all train so yeah. far. Laura's up in Scotland. Some of my friends train in Florida. Some of them train in the south of France. Some of them train in Loughborough. I'm here in London. So, um, no, but oh. a, I mean, we WhatsApp. <laughs> Do you? Um, yeah, but, nice. um, um, yeah, but it's like lots of people are on different time zones just because people often tend to, because obviously we're trying to achieve our dreams and our goals, so we'll mm. move to train in the best environment for us. Some people, that's, that's uh, the West Coast of America. Some people, that's... That's, uh, yeah, Florida, South of France, Italy, Loughborough, Manchester, Birmingham, Scotland, or me. <laughs> I know. So we don't see, and especially for training six days a week, we don't see each other too much because we're kind of all focused on just achieving our, our potential, really. But you have that virtual support. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I think those people have WhatsApp friendships. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't, especially with like working day life, we don't see your friends too often, but you've got a group chat, so you can pop in everything there. But yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned earlier on when you did a talk that training is obviously really hard on body and mind Mm -hmm. with what you do obviously because you have to work at your maximum when you're on the track how do you balance that out with like day-to-day life yeah um well I think it's quite interesting because I kind of chose myself to make my life as performance um orientated as possible but um not that it's so intense all the time but so I get some rest from having to be so focused on track because when I turn up to training, I turn up to do the best um, work I can to kind of push myself to the limit in that short exercises or whatever I'm doing, whether that's track or gym, and then rest. So when I like moved out from my parents' house, I moved to a very quiet, semi-secluded environment, not because I like <laughs> don't want to see people, but it's because I want no distractions. And when I'm at home and I want to rest, I want it to be calming, I want it to be quiet, and I want it to be somewhere where I can truly switch off. Yeah. And I just personally, for me, um, and with the the life that I lead obviously having to be so focused and do well on track I didn't think being in a hustle and bustle environment would Mm. be good for my well-being simply because I wanted to be able to chill and um, I think having that balance particularly where I live what what I do on track that's what I felt like I needed because a lot of the women which are going to which are listening into this podcast they're about to start their own running journey they're obviously not going to try and race you and they're going on a different (laughs) one I mean you can (laughs) I'm joking. I mean, that's like my job. There's an open invitation for you guys. Um, Maybe not down the street, though. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I tend to be always in sportswear, so we could go, but. She is now. I am looking at Dina, who is in a bright neon Nike jumper, leggings, and trainers. She is raring to go. Oh, no, honestly, this is my like day to day attire because, as I'm sure like so many people can identify with, I'm like, you've got so many things to do in a day. So often I start with like, well, I mean, other people might start with like classes, but I start with like gym, 9 a.m. Right. Gym pushing it so obviously I'm in sports clothes but then I've got like stuff like this so fun interviews I've got meetings I might be going shopping so I need to be able to have something that like reacts to my environment I need to be able to be get be comfortable so I can focus on what I'm doing but also be presentable in the day and neat and for me I like always wear like colorful bright clothing because it's like my mood often I try and stay happy (laughs) but um it's always I've got to be versatile so yeah that's what I mean you can race me down the street I'll nine times out of ten I'll be in trainers if I'm in boots then you know I'm going to a dinner so maybe not <laughs> and then we might win <laughs> no I'm joking no I'd be like, I can still run in heels you know <laughs> look at me being competitive <laughs> everybody if, even if oh often I get off, I get asked so often to race by or typically it's men and they're like oh if they see me in heels like 
can beat you. I'm like, look, I can take the heels off. <laughs> I'm like, that. I'm still fast in bare feet. So we can go if you want. But that's honestly, this is the athlete mentality you got. <laughs> but, so do you, do you believe that it's kind of really good to, when you're in your training, you give it everything that you've got oh, yeah. so that when you're not training, you can then leave that behind and have some mental definitely. switch off. Is that how you work? Yeah, I definitely live by that go hard or go home mentality. Right. And I just think, but maybe it's because... I'm very fortunate that what I do, I, I love. It's a passion. I love running. I love racing. Yeah. Training? <laughs> no, I'm being honest. Like, I, I know it's real. I know lots of athletes where training is very hard. Like, training is often tougher than competition. That's the way it's meant to be. Training gets you ready to run well. If you train well in the winter and you push yourself, running in the summer is very easy. When you want to run those times, I mean, it's okay. Wait, slow down. It's not easy. <laughs> so lots of stuff to do. But I mean, like, it's the 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 fitter you are and you put that work in in winter, the easier running fast times feels, if that makes mm. sense. So it's like, if you know that you've gone to the gym and you've done everything to the best of your ability, when it comes to running running on the track or maybe running on, on the street or on the road, then suddenly you find yourself running times that you previously found really hard, but you know you put that extra work in. Yeah. That makes sense. So with that mentality in mind and besides the fact I'm very fortunate that my job is running the straight line. Yeah. Very nice job. <laughs> and also that I know that as an elite athlete, I probably have a finite career. I might be retiring at 30 or 32. So I always think, look, when you've got training, I'm only going to be doing this hard, horrible, grueling exercise for like, what, the next two hours, three hours, just go for it, focus, no distractions and push yourself. And then I can go and relax and chill and then yeah. get ready and then do the same thing tomorrow. Just because I know that, yeah, my career is finite and I'm and in this moment in winter, this is my time to work. And if I want to achieve my goals and achieve my dreams, I have to focus and work hard. So when I want to perform well in the summer, running yeah. is running fast is really easy. <laughs> well, I, it's, it's not Again, as not easy, easy as possible. You know, like it's, if you still run a race, you're still you're going to see me on TV like I'm exhausted what do you mean I have to talk on BBC in five minutes can I get my breath back no we're going live in three two and I'm like hi everybody yeah that was really good and then when the camera goes I'm like <laughs> lactic <laughs> yeah <laughs> literally oh. live <laughs> I love that and um, is there any anything that you've been working on with your coach recently so is there a cue which he keeps repeating oh. to you which has made a difference to your running yeah, we work on so many things. I think just every year we want to do everything better right. as strengths and weaknesses. So we work to turn weaknesses into strengths and make my strengths even better and push myself even further. So I think for me, um, being efficient right. is, is the number one. Obviously, that body and mind reducing distractions when I run I'm focusing on mm. uh, on holding my positions coming through my phase as well and ultimately winning the race yes <laughs> there are loads of things I feel like I've been with my coach since I was I've known my coach since I was eight years old so wow. he yeah I mean yeah I know it's been he's like a second dad to me it's been a really really long relationship I hold him in such high esteem because honestly he's a very very intelligent but also very humble and just a great guy. And I feel very fortunate to be be under his pupillage. Does he... Um, a lot of what I do in my running and a lot of what I see other women do is that when it gets really tough, like you forget about your breathing or it becomes yeah. really laboured and you're like, you lose your position, don't you? And you're just yeah. like, I just want to get to the end of this run. Does he ever say to you like, yeah. Dina, up straight. Yeah. Yeah. Think about yeah, yeah, definitely. When we're fatigued and when you're running, so for example, a few days ago I ran a split four hundred, which you run you you um so you split the four hundred into two two hundreds, so you blast a two hundred like you're running in a race, then you'll have like and you'll be really achy and tired, run as fast as you can, then you have yeah. like a minute and then you do it again. 
and then you have a break and then you do that whole session again you can imagine why I'm like training's hard <laughs> I know but and um, the point is that you're meant to run to your max and it's and it's really a test of, of of how well you your endurance your speed endurance is so for me that is making sure that my mind stays focused because it's very very easy when you're actually tired the first thing to go is is your focus and your concentration in your mind you you start thinking as soon as you start thinking oh my gosh I'm tired then suddenly you're not thinking about what your body's doing just for that split yeah. second. And my life goes, medals are won and lost in hundreds of thousands of seconds. So you can't really afford for your mind to be doing that. And in that moment, when he sees that maybe my arm starts to flop a bit, or I start to be, my body starts to go a bit wobbly, it is that pick up and relax and keep stay focused. Because even though I'm tired, even though my mind is telling me that I'm tired, your body might not actually be feeling the same. As I kind of learned throughout the years that your mind is often weaker than your body is in itself so as long as you tell your mind no I can do this your body will find a way I mean I'm not saying push yourself to injury but you know what yeah. I mean so it's just about keeping your mind in track and he was often shouting at me to to stay focused and push through the line which is obviously telling you that keep your mind on it because your body can do it I love that <laughs> um and obviously we're, we're having this chat over you sipping a green tea <laughs> and you recently spoke about that you've been quite disciplined with your diet this I year have, yeah and you were really looking forward to having a massive cheat day at the end of season. Do you think like the dietary discipline has helped your training? Definitely, because ultimately you are made up of what you eat. You are made up of what you put in. So I try and put in good quality proteins, appropriate carbohydrates. So I have the energy to finish all my sessions to the maximum capabilities. I feel like people try and like miss out on carbs when... Um, their 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 training and obviously this time of year when I'm doing lots and lots of hard work I need my energy levels to be up so I can finish yeah. the reps to my maximum capability but obviously when I'm racing and um, I'm doing 10 second bursts I can drop them a bit but I still need them in because I need the energy that's where you get your energy from so you need your carbohydrates but um definitely high protein high in fiber spinach you know all those five a day things yeah. that everybody told us at school I'm actually one of those people that abides by that lifestyle but I do love a cheat day. You do love oh a cheat day. Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> brownies and warm brownies and ice cream, cake. Oh, is it, is it sweet stuff you oh, really crave? Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes you just want a pizza but um, or a Chinese. But yeah, yeah, often it's sweet stuff that I crave. And so to round this amazing chat off that we've had, um, you're, you're just such a bubble of energy oh, and it's so lovely to sit here with you. But um, for the women which are starting their own running journey... What's one piece of advice that you would give them to help them stay on that journey? Because I think Ooh. it's quite easy to give up it is. Um, when you start running because it's quite solitary sometimes. Can be, yeah. So um, do you have any advice for women starting out? Probably have more than one tip. First, okay, no. podcasts, music, something in your ear so you don't feel, so you're not just kind of going through it because, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. So you've got something to listen to. Try and maybe do it with a friend. That makes it always so much easier. Yeah, I would just say be patient with yourself and be forgiving to yourself as well because there might be days that you wake up and you don't want to do it. Yeah, like and that's real. Like, I feel that every not every day, <laughs> but I feel that often with training as well. When you wake up and you're like, oh, I don't want to do this, but then you kind of just got to be like remember why you're doing it, remember why you started. Because I'm not going to sit here and pretend that every day you're going to feel 100%, yeah, wake up, bounce, bounce full of energy, and then you're going to go smash it out. Sometimes it's, you, you're going to do it when you don't feel like it, but that's when you make the most improvements. That's when you're actually kind of growing yourself Yeah. because that's the time when maybe it would be easy to drop off and be like, yeah, I don't feel like it today. And then you get into the routine, but you've got to be forgiving to yourself and allow yourself to feel 
like you don't want to do it and don't punish yourself and don't think, oh, I'm so bad, I don't want to do it. Like that's normal, but do it anyway. And that's when the improvements come because that's when it becomes something that becomes ingrained to your life and that's when it has the effect on your health and your mood. But yeah, be forgiving, be patient with yourself. Improvements won't come all the time, but stick at it, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I'm just now imagining you waking up and doing like visualisations oh. of your big goals. No, honestly, honestly, you've just got... Because, um, yeah, I think people often think that athletes 24-7 are like, yeah, yeah, I want to do it, which... I mean, so often we are, and I have to admit that our lives are more are more tailored towards that mentality than most people. But um, at the same time, yeah, there are days when I wake up and I'm like, oh, I've got a really, really nasty session today. Don't feel yeah. like it. But I also know that that each day is a little piece in in a big puzzle. So you have to do each piece if you want to see the end result. And and I might turn up to the track and I might not be in the mood, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to give 100%. You don't have to be feeling it to still try your best. You know? Yeah, yeah, no, I totally know that. Yeah. And so last, last, last thing. What is your what is your goal for twenty nineteen? Oh, run faster than I did the year before. Ooh. That's always my goal. Always, okay. always. I just wanna be I wanna improve. I wanna always be the best person, the best athlete that I can be, run faster, be more efficient than I was the year before. Well, I cannot wait to follow <laughs> this journey and I'm sure everyone else at home will be behind you and rooting for you. It's the best place to follow you on Instagram. Oh, Instagram, Twitter, yeah. Well, thank you very much. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It is a Tuesday lunchtime, and I am just about to meet Sophie Power for a run, and she is an ultra runner who basically came onto the our radar last year when she stopped halfway through a race to breastfeed her child and so she had baby in one hand bottle in the other whilst everyone else was refueling on gels so here goes today's run chat hello hi hi how are you very good how are you doing i am so good and i'm so happy to be going on a run with you today it's beautiful sunshine it is beautiful isn't it should we go to the park let's go let's go so sophie you are an ultra runner technically yes Um, are you are you a professional ultra runner or are you just somebody who loves ultras definitely someone that just loves ultras and I never really did the whole going up from 5k to 10k marathon I went straight in an ultra you're joking Um, no I mean I I guess the backstory is so I never ran as a kid I was not the sporty kid in any way Um, I was second last in the mile of school and never thought anything of it until um, I'd been made redundant a really bad way from work and didn't know what to do. It's kickboxing for fitness. Yeah. Um, and my friend had done the marathon to start that year. And this is the 250 kilometer multi-day ultra marathon across the Sahara Desert. And he said, you know what? You should go do this. And I'm like, look, so I've never run more than a mile. 
is that look, you can track it. Most people walk it. You're really good at tracking. So with nine months to go, I signed up, never having run a mile, but quickly realized that I was actually really good at long, slow running. Right. And since then took it from there and that was nine years ago. Wow. And so you trained for the nine months and you did Marathon de Saab, a sorry, ultra. And um, how was that? It was incredible. I mean, I guess as training, so you could go, so my first training run, I was like, I better learn to run. Um, and then did some kind of, these amazing kind of stage races you can do in the UK, which you can actually walk as well. So you can walk an ultra, you don't have to run it. Okay. Um, or walk, run it. There's ones that are 30 miles a day for three days and uh, the Pilgrim's Challenge, which is about 30 miles Saturday. You stay overnight and the sports will come back on the Sunday. So I did those and then the marathon sub, I realized I was a lot stronger than I expected, especially over the distance, over the terrain. And I just love being in the company of amazing people where the last question anyone asks you, what you do for a living or where are you from, kind of, they just care about kind of talking to you. And um, it's, 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 it's really quite amazing. And you don't, but you don't sleep along the way. So that depends. Spartathlon, no. So that was a 7 a.m. start and the cutoff was 7 p.m. the next day. Right. So I knew I wouldn't be able to sleep um, with the pace. It's a very quick pace and they, they time a lot of people out. So only about one in three finish. You said we had 20 minutes over two nights. So you get hallucinations, which are a bit strange, but you get through them. Yeah, I mean, how do you even start to deal with that? I mean, I know I get grumpy if I don't get my seven hours. <laughs> I think our bodies can do so much more than we believe them capable of. I think it's kind of like kind of childbirth. You never think you can get through that kind of pain and then actually your body just gives you the ability to do it. And people can look at, well, how can you run non-stop for 36 hours or kind of 43 hours? How do you keep going? And your body just does if it wants to and you want it to. And I guess you have to have a kind of real reason to want to do it. Yeah. But we've got so much adrenaline and, and it just fights its way through it. But I think ultras is all about, for me, the camaraderie, the people, the nature. You run in beautiful locations. Yeah. So I choose really pretty races in the mountains, in kind of, I love North Downs and South Downs way. I run them most years, the 50 or the 100 miler, the Alps UTMB, um, or for Grand Canaria, just Trans Grand Canaria, it's gorgeous. So I think it's an adventure. I think it's fitness related. Um, and I also just think you make most of my best friends I've actually made through ultra running. UTMB was the one where you stopped to breastfeed your yes. son along the way. So was he about three months old? So he was, yeah, he's just, yeah, he's three months old. And you took off on that run and then your husband brought your child to you. Yes. And it's that famous picture, <laughs> baby in one hand, breast pump in another and it went viral. Did you ever expect that to happen? Oh, oh my gosh, no. No. I mean... So the, the, where the pictures, to give me some context, so Ultra Tour de Mont Blanc is 106 miles, a non-star race around Mont Blanc. Um, it's a classic trekking route. The cutoff's 46 hours and there's over 10,000 metres of elevation. So that's more than combined going up and down Everest. Okay. And it's an iconic race. It's probably the most well-known trail ultra, like the big one that you work up to. So the photo was uh, 50 miles in. Um, so we set off on Friday at 6 p.m. This is 10 a.m. the next day. Okay. In this massive sports hall. 
and I just found a quiet place outside. Um, bodies everywhere. Everyone's run through the night. Blisters, everyone's knackered, trying to feed. No one knows what anyone else is doing. And suddenly this guy comes over to my husband and says, can I take a picture? And my hubby's like, um, okay. <laughs> like, why? And he's like, look, you know, I'm, I'm working with um, Runners World and working with Strava and we're sharing some pictures and look, like take a picture. And, and I'd missed out on this race four years previously because he wouldn't defer my post due to pregnancy. And I ran it with a three-month-old baby because they wouldn't defer it again, but they defer for injury. And then my world exploded for a while because I think people saw the story on such a deeper level and the reasons behind why I was doing it. And it wasn't about UTMB. It wasn't just about that pregnancy deferral. It was about, you know, women are really capable of much more than we think and what others think. Um, and our bodies are amazing. Because to lead up to that picture, you obviously had to train for the race whilst pregnant. Yes. Did you find that, and um, if you haven't seen Sophie's training on Instagram, you do need to check it out, doing those tricep dips <laughs> at eight months pregnant. It's simply inspiring. But did you find that a lot of people maybe reacted perhaps negatively to such intense training whilst pregnant? No, because it wasn't really intense. Right. Um, I mean, I never started anything new. So I was weight, I've been weight training for long and I've been running. And it's natural, it was natural before pregnant to kind of crack up, pull up the weight belt on. So then I had a belly that was my weight belt. <laughs> we weren't taking any risks. Every exercise got dropped that I'd normally do my weights workout when it just didn't feel right. Um, and if you go by what your body feels, that's the best assessor, not any specific guidelines. Yeah, because I was going to say there's been quite a lot of research from um, Sport England into saying that one of the reasons that a lot of women don't do fitness is because they feel guilty about its time away from their family, so maybe they shouldn't. However, but when they do it, it's the best they felt, and then they can go back in feeling positive again. Is that exactly? And I get this every time I'm saying it. I'm a better mother when I've gone for a run. I'm a much better mother. I'm a better mother when I'm fit because I'm better place to take care of my kids. I mean, last night, my son woke me up six times. <laughs> and I swear I'm still functioning because I'm actually kind of like got some level of fitness. Yeah, I think my longest stretch of sleep last night was about an hour and a half. I was like, oh my God. Um, the big thing that kept me going UTMB was my then three-year-old saying, mommy, I really want to run. I can't wait to run across the line with you. Oh. Like, I really hope we get there. And he did his own little 400-meter race for three-year-olds. So it was the cutest thing ever. So that picture was the second picture that stole my heart. <laughs> you, you with your three-month-old, and then your little one just crossing the line. I so mean, that was in my mind for most of those 43 hours. That really kept me going. And I was never a sporty kid, as I said. And I think for me, wanting to bring my kids up with a love of fitness of any sort throughout their day, kind of just being active, um, is really important to me. So. That kept me going too. Oh, it's amazing. And you're actually, so aside from being a mum, an ultramarathon runner, you're also a female entrepreneur as well. Yes. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but you've started a business to help clean up our air. Exactly. So actually, it was also down to the kids. Um, so when I was pregnant with Danica, I was um, walking along kind of Pluto Rose in London. And so we moved our family out to Surrey three weeks ago partly because of it, but we've been living in Islington. Um, the air's very polluted. 
and um, uh, there was no technology that could protect him because you can't, uh, you can clean the nitrogen dioxide and diesel fumes. So I co-founded a company called Air Labs, who we then developed technology that can clean the polluted air. So there's units that kind of actually model brain station now. We've just an amazing collaboration with Stella McCartney to clean her, um, her London store and launch an air bubble, which can clean the air inside the car. Wow. And so now I've moved to much more, kind of away from Air Labs into a station impact, kind of what do I do next to make sure that the, the topic is still considered, but also, I guess now with UCMB, thinking about motherhood and thinking about where I can help in terms of making sure people can balance their lives and balance their work um, more effectively because what I do seems quite natural to me but I don't think a lot of other women feel able just to take take that chance and, and kind of pursue everything they want to I think it's really interesting that you're so honest about the help that you've had because actually it's that help which has helped you do so many things but I think as women maybe sometimes we don't talk about the help or the need for it it's, it's I, I, it almost like you see and what frustrates me about some of the I guess the social media stuff is that people see these perfect lives and they think that's attainable but it's not because if you open up the, the lens and I always say to people if, if Alexis the, the photographer had zoomed back he'd have seen next to you my husband handing me an avocado sandwich you see my friend Matt who was there kind of doing my head torch batteries just outside the sports hall he'd have seen Margita our nanny playing with Danica who was waiting for me to come out um, and give him a hug that's what's that's the story. The story is not me. I've gone and done this on my own. It's your support it's network. It's my support network. Um, and actually what we often don't share as mothers, um, we see kind of people in these, see, these CEOs who are mothers and like, wow, she's done it. Why can't I? I'd love more than to say, this is my nanny. This is my PA. This is who does my daily admin around the house. These are all the tasks that most mothers have to do that I don't. And with my time, this is what I do instead. And I think the more of us that are honest about the childcare arrangements they have, the, the stuff around the house that invariably falls on the woman to do, and how we share that out, the more of us go, you know what, if I didn't do X, I could do Y. And actually Y is much more valuable. So let's get some help with X. So do you think, you're, do you, think you wouldn't be able to achieve what you've done maybe in the past 12 months if you didn't have that? support system because I suppose a lot of women perhaps don't have that and so maybe it is quite tough to get out there and train or was you training before you managed to have a bit of childcare help and that type of thing I've always tried I guess with um so my oldest son was in full-time nursery because I was working as a CEO but outside that I was doing an early drop-off and I was running to work so I think run commute is brilliant so all my training sessions pre- having Cormac were on the run. It's quicker anyway. I can outrun any method of London transport, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Do you know what? I don't doubt that because for everyone listening in right now, Sophie literally arrived at the office with a backpack, which I would have taken to work this morning with all my meal prep in and stuff. <laughs> and I asked her if she'd like me to put it in my office. And she said, no, it's fine. I'm just going to run with that. And I lifted it up and I was like, really? <laughs> and lo and behold, she is. <laughs> it's a light one. <laughs> I think anyone that runs commutes realises how do you fit an exercise in your day and actually making things quicker. So I still run around doing all the errands. I think you can certainly fit in fitness anywhere and really breaking down your day and going, 
where can I do stuff? So stitching your things is wherever you can. Um, I think it's doable, but what's really easier is saying, okay, having a friend come over, if they've got kids, you watch the two for an hour, you go and do a class or a run, they watch the two for an hour. Thinking how, like, your friends say, we'd like to help, great. Look after my children for one hour. Let me do something. Let the, get the family involved. Just get any kind of support you can involved. People are far more willing to help than you think. That's such a great tip. I hadn't heard of that one before. I, I think it really is kind of making it okay for mums to ask for help. Yeah. Um, and making it actually a strength thing, saying, you know what, I've got this inner strength and I'm like, I need this. If you had any injuries in the past, which you're now like, I'm never going to get that again, so I do this in my training. Oh, gosh, yes. So I am um, very lucky. I think doing a lot of weight training as a runner is really important, especially running specific, so kind of lunges. I do hamstring lunges and step-ins with big heavy weights that your legs are never kind of in the same plane, so it's always like running. I've never really done squats because when are your feet side by side when you're running? Never. It's like single leg, deadlift type things. Um, but on Spartathlon, I, my quad exploded, pretty much exploded. I had a huge edema in it, and it was about mile 138. And I'd just been running on this camber and on concrete, which I'd never really done before. And it was just taking a little bit more pressure than the other one for 138 miles. So I had to limp the last 15 miles down the hill as quick as possible to make the time cut off. Um, so I do a lot more kind of quad training which is really important for UTMB for the downhills. Yeah. So a lot of kind of pressure on and off uh, and the quads in different ways. That's been the one big change I made. And I'm really interested to know what you fuel all this training with. <laughs> so I am one of the people that I love food. I love sugary food. I love chips, I love ice cream. So for me, I think the more I exercise, actually the healthier I eat. I used to run a lot fasted because I could. I could run, go out in the morning and run two hours for fine. With breastfeeding, you cannot do that. No. Um, I'd have been faint by 30 minutes in because you're, you're feeding another person. So at the moment, I have to eat for every run. We're kind of trying to be off sugar for January, which is difficult. <laughs> um, but no, I think it's mostly right. Um, it's a lot of kind of complex carbs. It's a lot of porridge, there's a lot of, kind of lean meats and eggs. But the naughty bits around the edges, they kind of get taken care for by the miles. Yeah. I say, I'm not a pro athlete, so I do none of the stuff that you're supposed to do, like put your legs up and do your <laughs> massage and do your supplement thing and like never. Any, I, I, read it, I, I read it in the magazine and go, yeah, you should do this. And it's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Completely out the window. <laughs> um, sometimes I'm kind of worried. I mean, a lot of times I'm just like, how do I get home to the boys? Yeah. So the fastest mile I think I've ever run in an ultra was on the North Downs Way 50. And um, I met this great girl, Helen, who actually done Mountain UTMB with me. We were chatting away, chatting away, missed a turn. And um, by that we tacked on some bonus miles. Oh no! Um, which wasn't good because I was aiming for this last bus from the end. They'll get to the train station to get me home for bedtime for Donica. And when we realised what's happened, I looked at kind of the, the watch and I was like oh my gosh I'm gonna miss this bus so the sprint I did in that last mile just to try and kind of um get um get home to him and then that was what I was thinking of but uh yeah you meet lifelong friends on these kind of because you might meet someone and you're talking to them for 50 miles 
Do you think so, that's what running's brought to your life? Friendship? Oh, so much. I mean, I've looked through kind of so many of my friends now. I mean, some from MBA, some from before, some from kind of social, but a lot of the ones that know me the best are from running. It's, it's, a, it's a type of person that's an ultra runner, but they're a really friendly bunch. So get anyone that finds running remotely scary. And I didn't join a run club for years because I found it scary um, and quite intimidating. Yeah. The ultra clubs for the walkers. It's a little bit older. Yeah, it's for a bunch of friendly people, so. And it's open to anyone. So you want to run an ultra? There's a seven o'clock walker start for a lot of 30 mile races. Nice. Go and walk it. You've still done an ultra. You do not have to run every step. Wow. I think that is the perfect place to finish this run on. What a good run it has been with you. Thank you. So eye-opening to hear how you're fitting it all in and doing it all. It's amazing. And for everyone that's listening in, how can they follow your journey? So um, after UTMB, I realised I had to work out how to use Instagram. <laughs> so um, I'm ultra underscore Sophie. Yeah. Um, and I'll be kind of sharing hopefully a few more of the ultra non-pregnancy, but also kind of uh, keeping the kids along as well. Amazing. Well, thanks very much, guys. Until next week. Thank you so much for listening to Welfare, your guide to conquering 26.2. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do take 30 seconds to rate and review us on iTunes. It really does make all the difference. And I and the team read absolutely everything you write, which means the world to us. New episodes will be released every Sunday on all the usual podcast platforms. So please do subscribe and never miss a notification. Until then, thanks again to all of you for listening and supporting us. And thanks to Mags Creative, the producers of this show. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.